Maybe you have ever stayed in a hotel, just in general, hotel people. How many people like staying in a hotel? Raise your hand. Do you like staying in hotels? How many people have stayed in disgusting hotels? Where you're like, wow, this was a bad, bad choice. <laughs> we were coming home from a, a wedding in Philadelphia, and the Flyers had just won, I think, the Stanley Cup. And so if you've ever been in Philadelphia for any sporting event, but one where, in which they win or in which they lose, uh, they typically, it, it, it typically spills out into the streets. And so we were driving home, and I was in my car with two of my sisters, and my dad was in his car with my mom and my other sister. There's four of us. And so we were heading to this hotel in which my, my aunt said, I got a great deal, because we were going to stay at the Marriott near where the wedding was at. But my aunt found a deal at a hotel, and my dad was like, I like deals. Let me go ahead and do that. And where we found ourselves was at a roadway inn. No offense to roadway if you're watching, but it was a grimy, grimy hotel. Bad review then. And so anyways, as we got our two rooms, and we uh, approached my room, with, so it was myself and my three sisters. My parents had their own room, obviously. And, and so I opened the exterior door. It was not interior doors, exterior doors. And as I opened it up, there were still clothes on the bed, possibly a person in it. I don't know. I closed it right away and went back, and, and we had to get all brand new rooms, and it was just awful. We all slept on top of the sheets with the air conditioning on as cold as I can get it. Because when I go to a hotel, I want to smell cold and bleach. Those are the only two things <laughs> that I want to smell. If you've been to a hotel recently, they've got a new policy for housekeeping, don't they? Used to be you go to a hotel and housekeeping was just assumed. That the housekeeping would happen, you would promptly leave and go about your business, and you would come back after doing your business, and the room would be brand new. And there would be brand new linens, brand new towels, everything would be wiped down, except for the remote control. Please don't touch the remote control. That is the thing of nightmares. They don't wipe that down. Do not touch the remote control with your bare hand public service announcement. But now, if you want, that was really funny, everybody, a little bit more, <laughs> more ruckus. I mean, I literally will put the remote in a plastic bag and use it as such. And I don't, I'm not a big germaphobe. Well, yes, yes, I am. Anyway, so let's continue on. Let's get to the point. You now have to put a placard on the outside of your door to say, I want housekeeping. And if you don't do that, then your towels will pile up your sheets will be your sheets, and everything else will just kind of stay the same. They'll, they'll leave you alone. So you know me, I want to find ways that I can super glue that thing on the outside of my door so that there's no mistake that, yes, I would like housekeeping. Come in every day and get me new towels and new linens. It cleans the room up. It freshens the place like it's never been occupied. How wonderful is that? And it makes it new even though I'm remaining in the room. See where I'm kind of going here. Nothing like, there's nothing like a clean house. After accomplishing the task of cleaning your own home, you feel like you can take on whatever problem may come your way. A nice made bed means very good sleep that night, right? And clutter removed means that you discover new purposes for storage and maybe the tools that you never even knew that you had. Every time we move away clutter, I'm like, I didn't even know that we had such a thing. And I will find a use for it. It's great and fantastic. 
Last week I said Jesus in the sermon series that we're in wants to make his home in us. He wants to, the word is, abide in us and us also in him, which literally means to make your home, to stay, remain. And when he comes in and we say, come on in, and he makes himself at home, we are inviting him to do specific things that we may not even have realized. We're inviting in the great housekeeper. Fair warning today, I'm going to mix a lot of metaphors, so stay with me, okay? Uh, so we invite him in as the great housekeeper to have free access to all of the rooms in our home and our souls and storage areas in life, places that we've hidden things and have kept secret. Well, he's going to go in and he's going to look at it. He's going to swing open the doors. So if we swing open the door for him, if we put that placard on that says, yes, I want continuous housekeeping, we are inviting in the Lord to do exactly that. That's what it means to abide, to swing open the doors and say, yes, I need continuous housekeeping. I heard it once said that the word abide, another way to, to uh, explain the word abide means to hang out, that Jesus just wants to hang out with you. And that's a very sweet illustration about abiding. It really does capture the intimacy that comes from the abiding Lord and we and him, et cetera, that we're just hanging out and having a good time. But it doesn't capture the purpose. There is a fundamental purpose that Jesus is teaching this as we see in John 15 and then this whole lecture that he has with the disciples before he goes away and is crucified and then the ascension. There is a fundamental purpose for this abiding imagery and this, this relationship that he is setting up. And if it's just to, ah, oh, let's just hang out, that's, that, that, that lessens that a little bit. It can work in a sermon for sure, but it does lessen the imagery. There is a purpose. He, why would Jesus want to come and hang out in the dirtiness of my home? Why would he willingly want to set up a room in what I would call my soul if he wasn't there to do something? Have you ever watched Netflix, Marie Kondo, Anyone? Anyone watch me? So, oh my gosh. If you ever get a chance, if you ever get a chance, this is totally off script. If you ever get a chance, watch Marie Kondo. She's a little new agey, but she is all about, and that's kind of funny, she's all about coming into your cluttered spaces and helping you declutter and organize all of that for the sole purpose of finding joy. Now, you can connect some Christian stuff in there. She doesn't really ever say that, but you can see that about how she says when you want to get rid of something, you hold it in your hands and you throw it on the floor. Now, Marie kind of, she says, you hold it in your hands and you think, does this bring me joy anymore? And if it doesn't, you cast it away. You, 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 you send it off. You don't need it anymore. Now, it's really interesting. Marie Kondo now has multiple children, and she's recently come out and said, I don't keep my house as clean as that anymore. I'm like, ah, Marie. But anyways, watch that, because this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's organizing and cleansing and cleaning and getting rid of things that are really damaging to our soul and taking our joy that for some reason we try to hold on to. And so today we venture into the first part of this passage of John chapter 15, which is going to, we're going to be in here for the next couple of weeks through Lent. John chapter 15 of what it really means, what does it look like to have this abiding relationship with Christ. So, are you ready? 
Ready to dive in? All right, let's take out those Bibles. Let's learn what continuous housekeeping looks like and open up to John 15, verses 1 through 2a, and it's 1071. We're going to pick this apart bit by bit. So open up the Bibles, page 1071. What does it mean to have continuous housekeeping? Now remember, so Jesus gathered his disciples. He's up uh, at this point, I believe still, no, no, he's left the upper room. They have left the upper room and they're kind of on their way to the next destination. And he's teaching them. It's a long, long teaching, very, very long sermon-esque, longer than most Baptists. And then, who's the Baptist in here? Anyone? No, I'm just kidding. So the, it's just this long, but oh my gosh. And we talked about it last Lent too, just a master class of, of what Jesus is doing. And so after he has kind of set up and said to them, you know, I'm going to a place and I'm preparing a place for you. And then he says, but not only am I preparing a place for you, but, but we're coming and making our home with you and we want you to make our home with, with us, us being the triune God. And that he sets up that the Holy Spirit is going to be the active resident in our lives who is going to continue to abide and continue to teach and convict our souls of the Word of God, the Word of Jesus taught. This is all chapter 14. And now we get in John chapter 15, and he kind of gives it like a teaching example, like a metaphor, and says, well, this is what it's going to look like. And the very out the gate, out the gate, he says this tremendously powerful identifying phrase that I think I had glossed over from time and time again because we have heard this before time and time again. He says, I am the true vine. And if you have your own Bibles, I'd underline that. I am the true vine, the real deal. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear food Fruit he takes away. So let's look at this. We're looking at what does it mean to have this, this house guest abiding in us who's doing this house cleaning. And the very first thing he says to them is, listen, if you don't get anything else, know that I am the true vine dresser. The true, excuse me, the true vine, not the vine dresser, the true vine. And this brings us back to, once again, the Old Testament. If anything, Jesus is consistent. As he looks at this and says, I am the true vine, he is saying to them, I am the real Israel. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and several other places, Israel, which is God's chosen people, right? Israel is listed as the vine, the vine from God. And that connected into that tree, the whole thing, and that's how they know they are a chosen people and that God will always be their God no matter what. I am Yahweh, I am the one true God, and you are my people, that whole thing, right? Got it? But here, Jesus says that I, gee, Jesus, if I was acting like Jesus, I am the true vine. And it completely should catch the, at least the religious rulers off guard. And they're not there with him. He's speaking to the disciples, but he's laying down this really good teaching about it. For us now, present day, and we zoom out and look at it, what the implications of what he is saying is that the new Israel is him and the means in which people now 
will be called the people of God is not going to be because they were born into this nation or because they decided to, to uh, convert and have, uh, do the circumcision thing. It's going to be because they are being chosen and called through me, Jesus. That simple little phrase, I am the true vine, he is changing the entire game. And those who have the Holy Spirit abiding in him will understand what this means, what it means to now be chosen in him. And of course, this would rattle the cages of the religious muckety-mucks because they had a, an idea of what the Messiah is going to be. They were expecting the true vine to come and that the Messiah was going to do certain things. But instead, Jesus started saying and doing things that didn't go along with their agenda and they found themselves possibly excluded from this divine status. In fact, Jesus hinted at it all through his ministry with those religious muckety-mucks that they are probably going to be excluded. Hints such as, you den uh, or you brood of vipers or uh, what's another subtle hint? Uh, deny me and I will deny you or no one comes to the Father except through me. Very subtle on Jesus' part. I don't know how they missed it, but they did. I am the true vine, he says. So not only, and so that's, it's going to set some stuff up, some big stuff up that we're going to see here in just a minute in Isaiah. Before we get there, he's saying, I am the true vine. You are the branches off of me. And that every branch that is in me, that is not bearing fruit, he takes away. And what that means is that he cuts them. He cuts them off. Now, when I first read this a long time ago, I, it, it, it got into my stuff about whether or not we can lose salvation or not. And even in this room, there's differences of theology of people who think, yes, you can, and others who are probably on the more reformed side of things say, no, you, no, you can't. Once chosen, you're in. Your salvation is secured. Whatever. But this is one of those verses that can get kind of used for either or. But that Greek word to, to cut, that means taking away, that he takes away. It doesn't only mean to cut. It also could mean to remove and lift up, to hold in suspense, to hold back for a purpose. And look at that language. Every branch in me, so a branch that is already a part of me, but is not producing fruit that I am telling it to produce, that I'm giving it the power to produce, the fruit that it ought to produce. Well, then I'm going to take that off. I'm going to take it away. If you flip to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, page 683. This is where this is coming from. Listen to this. Page 683, Isaiah 11. There, and the question is, does that mean if I'm in Jesus or if I'm in God, if I mess up so much, can I be removed forever? It's not how God operates. God in the Old Testament has always operated with a remnant of the people of God. 
when the, 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 the Israel nation divided into two kingdoms and they had all their kings and then they started idol worshiping and all that stuff that was going on and then the Israel kingdom fell and then the Judah kingdom fell, there was still a, a, a promise of a remnant that God was going to use. It's the Abrahamic override or the Davidic override in that we can mess it up so much, fine, but there's an override that God is working with. Isaiah captures it. This is what he says. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and the delight, his delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see and decide disputes on what he hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity the, the, for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, his word, and with the breath of his lips he shall Thou strike down the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is about the Messiah. So, of course, you know, those who are studying of the word of, of the Old Testament, of what they would have as scriptures, they're expecting the arrival of the Messiah to do these things. But it doesn't just stop there. I mean, it talks about, it goes on further. I won't bore you with it, but it goes on further. Read it. It talks about that when this Messiah comes, how the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard with the young goat. There will be no division, no animosity. Everything's going to be put back together. Even cobras, even cobras are okay in this new world order with the Messiah. How many have ever seen a cobra before? Those are wicked beasts. I would demand a recount in heaven, I think. If I got to heaven and I saw cobras just slithering around, I think God and I would have to have a conversation and be like, nah, those things were created to look like evil beasts. Could you just get them out of here? But anyway, but it says here, I'm not a snake person, not a snake person, but it says here that, that all of that will be restored. Then verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who is Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for all the people that comes from, uh, the, well, Luke cites this in terms of the angel. He will be a sign for all the peoples. This, this Messiah here in, in, in Isaiah, a signal for all the peoples of him shall then all the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant and the remains of his people. And what Isaiah is setting up here and what Jesus is obviously referencing here and I am the true vine is that not only will I be a signal for anyone that was in me and taken away to be restored, to have the chance to be restored, but all of the nations are going to find their rest in me, meaning anyone outside of Israel. And Paul teaches about this too. He talks about how that there will be a time in Romans that's in chapters 9, 10, and 11. He, he deals with the Israel uh, issue. And he says that there will be a time where, where the hardness of Israel will happen so that the inclusion of the Gentiles can come in. And then once that happens, then that hardness will be removed. And those who are truly Israel shall come back in. And so when he says, I take away that branch that isn't bearing fruit, that isn't so much being taken away and booted out. He's taking it away and holding it in suspense. 
so that this other thing can happen. The Gentiles can come in and be a part of that same tree until such a time as he's going to bring that back in again. And those who are not Israel, well, they will see, here we'll see in just a minute, they will find themselves, those who are not chosen, those who deny Christ fully, they don't have a spot back here in this tree. Now, what in the world does this have to do with housekeeping? Well, the thing is, is that Jesus is using a, a gardening metaphor here. And he is saying that what the gardener, who is God, is doing with the tree is he's removing branches that aren't producing fruit because that's just going to suck the life out of that tree. He's going to remove that off. And the branches that are remaining that are producing fruit, the branches that are, that are, that are giving off that which I'm empowering it to do, well, I'm going to take away the, any rotten issue that's a part of that branch, get rid of it so that it can continue to bear more fruit. And that's the pruning process. The pruning word in Greek means more or less cleanse, not so much cut as take away. It's cleansing that branch. It's getting rid of the, the dirty stuff that impedes its growth. So my friends, when, when you make a profession of Christ as you're my Lord and Savior, and you swing open the doors and allow the Holy Spirit to come and reside and abide in you and you and him. He's going to prune away the things in our lives that completely stand in the way of our growth and becoming more and more strong and more and more like him. And so I want you to see that in those mixed metaphors of gardening and housekeeping and trees, whatever. The sole purpose is to get rid of that stuff that we might be trying to hold on to for dear life. Past abuse, a hurt that we're not forgiving, a need of forgiveness we need to ask for, Things in our lives that, that really could just mess us up. We're not meant to hold on to that. You remember at Ash Wednesday I said, just like a toddler who needs boundaries, we need the boundaries to know that we are not meant to wrestle with, handle, and manage the damage of sin in our lives. That is not the fruit in which we produce. That comes straight from his abiding in us and taking it away and saying, I, I went to the cross for this. Stop holding on to it so that you can produce more and more fruit. Let's continue on in the Gospel of John because it gets better. So there you are. That's just the two, first two verses and then some, some other stuff too. Branch takes it away. But those that are bearing fruit, he prunes so that it can bear more. He says to the disciples, already you are clean, verse 3, because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are already set apart for holiness because of the word that I have spoken to you. But you can continue to be cleaned and cleansed by this abiding relationship with me. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, as you set out in this new life, 
with the abiding residence of the Holy Spirit. Don't make the mistake in thinking that you've got to change the world all on your own. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. It's going to come from the power of the Holy Spirit abiding in you. He doubles down. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How often do I need that reminder? The reminder of my family, my church, my life. This is not all on my shoulders to make sure it's perfect. Because if I try to do that apart from the Lord, I'm going to end up a tree or I'm going to end up a branch. See, I got my metaphors all messed up. I'm going to get a branch that's going to be removed because I'm going to be spiritually dry and not bearing the fruit that he calls me to bear. Now, I've totally went off script, so I have no idea where I am in my notes, but let's continue on. So that's the housekeeping part. We invite the housekeeper in. We want housekeeping. The housekeeper takes away the dirty towels, takes away the dirty the linens, takes them down to be cleansed. He removes, they remove them. And they give you new towels and new sheets. And they wipe everything down and create this room to be brand new so that you can continue on. And then we get the reason why this all happens. Remember I asked in the beginning, why would Jesus want to set up a residence in this? Ew. Well, this is what he says. First off, let me just put a reality check in here. In verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Before I move on to the reason why, not only are branches taken away and held for in suspense until come, they are returned back, but there are those branches that have nothing to do with the truth of God. And so it's not cutting away. He throws them away. He casts them out. And not only casting out, but casting out for the sole purpose to be burned. Then that is a reality check of if you don't believe in Jesus and follow the way, there is a place for you. Uh, and hopefully that's not for anyone else. There's a great um, movement in, within Christianity that wants to speak away hell. And this is one of those kind of passages to say, oh, no, 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 no. There is a, a spot for those who don't want to have Jesus in their life whatsoever. I don't want to bear fruit. I just want to be me and do what I want to do. Well, okay. Enjoy this life because in that case, you're only living once. YOLO. So, uh, but then it goes on then here for the purpose. And I'm sorry, I got turned around. But it goes on here for the purpose here of why, why this abiding relationship. What's the whole, let's tie a bow on this. Verse 7, if you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. 
Why on earth would he want to set up residence? Well, here we go back to the beginning of John's gospel that Tom preached on two weeks ago. The sole purpose for the Savior to come into this world, the Word made flesh, is to then establish the gift of salvation for all of us who believe. And not only that, was to see the glory of the Lord in Jesus, to know the Father in who sent him. That is why that he has come and walking around. And now at the precipice of his departure from this world, he is calling on his disciples to do the same, to be producers in the garden, to produce fruit that glorifies God, that glorifies the Lord, that makes him known. Peter calls us a holy priesthood of believers. The word priest means someone who stands in the gap and points to Jesus. That is why this is all happening. Because Jesus is going to go and now he can set up residences in multiple people throughout the nations to be glorifiers of God. That's the fruit that he wants you to produce. In fact, John's gospel really hones in on two things that, that he wants produced. He wants to see in believers that the first commandment is upheld, that we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, that we live that out and share that with others, and that we love others in the way that he has loved us. If we do those things and we produce those things, what does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? The world will know that we are his disciples. Swing open the doors for that housekeeping. Get new things going on because in doing so, you are created into this new person, into this new branch that produces fruit, that shares the gospel and the glory of the Lord throughout the world. Do you know how many varieties of fruit there are? I googled this. Do you know? Who knows for sure? Because I just googled. Can't trust Google. But Google says 2,000 types of fruit. But there are 10,000 varieties of grapes, which are actually berries, which opens up a whole new world, and 7,500 varieties of apples. Jesus says, it's good for me to go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit so that you can do greater things. And those greater things are being walking temples of the Holy Spirit who abides in you and you in him to produce much fruit that glorifies God the Father. So understand this, that when you leave here today, and you walk out this room, you are one of many fruity pebbles that the Lord has made. What happens when you put fruity pebbles in milk? It colors the milk. Go out and color the world. Now that's because of chemicals, but you got the Holy Spirit. That's great. Color the world and do greater things. Yes, I need housekeeping. I need to be reminded that I can't do it alone. I need to be reminded that it's not by my power that I stand here preaching today. I need to be reminded to love other people in the way that God loves me, especially in the grocery store counter. If you ever gone to Walmart, that gets tested really big in Walmart. Just, they only have one lane open. And I'd walk up and down and say, God, you are testing me today. No, I mean, but you just reminded of the type of person that you are a home for the Holy Spirit who resides in you and you residing in him. Go and be great. 
color your world. Live as people who say, yes, change out the towels, change out the linens, and make it new. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sheer amount of <laughs> parables and metaphors and, and literary devices you use to explain a point. And I pray that above all, all the fun little examples that we remember this fundamental truth, that you became flesh, that you dwelt among us, that you glorified the Father and made known who God is, and that now we who place a faith in you swing open the doors for the Holy Spirit to dwell richly and abide in us, raising up the word that you have taught to convict our hearts to be producers in the garden that you have created so that other people may pick up that fruit, see it, and see you, and accept you as well as their Savior and be grafted in to this tree. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To all see Christ always and only living in me. That is the goal. That is the purpose of our lives. After saying, yes, Lord, you are my Lord and Savior, I will follow you where you will lead. Well, he is leading us into a world that needs some fruit. So go color your world. Be a fruity pebble in the milk of life. Ask for housekeeping and be a branch, a part of the tree. I think that was all the metaphors today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great day, everyone.